0: I cannot pass by without n- uh, mentioning that Lizzie said "whippersnapper." I don't know if that's uh, hanging out with Mississippi Alex or Grant Parish Will. I don't know who gets credit for that, but uh, it was excellent. I really enjoyed that. Um, I-, I also want to. <laughs> you want a whippersnapper? <laughs> Feeling old, says the baby in the room. All right. Um, yeah, I also want to point out. Uh, I never heard that last song that we did, and man, it is good. And and here's a, I, I, I want to point it out because today the the title of the the message is Whom Do You Serve, um, and we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that. But that song and and the, from Scripture, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like. That's where our focus is going to be today. That's where it's always supposed to have been. We see that in the story that we started with again this morning. I'm going to try to tie all that together. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter four today, verses um, five through eight. If you want to turn to that, but but before we get to that this morning in a minute, I'm going to to reference Exodus chapter twelve and give you an opportunity to turn there as well if you want to do that in advance. If you got a copy of the outline, there's a lot of scripture today, um, and we're just going to kind of flip around. And God's got a lot for us. it's good to worship with you guys this morning. Last week, we began looking at the temptations of Jesus. And I want to remind you that Carrie gave me his express permission to slow down during the temptation stories. All right, I still got a thumbs up. We're still good to go on that front. Last week, we talked about the first temptation. And we were asked some questions that Jesus was asked through this temptation. Primarily, the main question was, whom do you trust? That's what the the, the point of that first temptation was, is are you going to trust In God to be the provider to be the things that you need him to be are you going to trust in yourself or someone else and we're asked that same question the enemy's goal in this temptation was to entice Jesus to fail in the same way that Adam and Eve failed in the same way that Israel failed Uh, and I don't know if you've you've picked up on this but I've titled this little portion of our series man's temptation round three because we're looking primarily at man's temptation with adam and eve and then also with israel those are the two major parallels for this and so we wanted to, we took the time last week to look back at Israel's failure in the desert to trust God for their every need. And they got so focused on their, on their needs that they forgot that God had already proven that he was more than capable of providing for them. I really appreciated Glenn's testimony this morning of it's going to take $15,000 and God, I'm asking you, I'm not going to ask anybody else. I'm going to ask you and let you provide it. That's exactly what we talked about last week. I didn't mention this last week, but I was reminded this week of the manner in which Israel left Egypt. Do you, do you guys remember this? God had used Moses and Aaron to deal with Pharaoh. I'm sure we all remember the uh, the, the miracles that happened, these plagues that God sends. And God does all that to prove to Israel. I mentioned last week, remember Israel has been living for generations under Egyptian rule. And they had all these different gods that they worshipped. And so God is trying to to It's really not, this is not about Pharaoh and it's not about Egypt. It's about Israel coming to know who their God is, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. In this final plague, this was the death of the firstborn. Unless they painted the door frames in their houses with the blood of the Lamb, which is to symbolize what's coming through Jesus. Okay, And I want us to pick up today in that story in chapter 12, verse 29 through 36. And I want us to see something particular that God does in this in this passage so it's picking up in verse 29 it says now at midnight the lord struck every firstborn male in the land of egypt from the firstborn of pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock during the night pharaoh got up he along with all his officials and all the egyptians and there was a loud wailing throughout egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked me and leave, and also bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, We are all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading bowls wrapped up in their claws on their shoulders. And the Israelites acted on Moses' word, and the Egyptians and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them whatever they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. What does it mean when it says, "Israel acted upon Moses' word? I don't know if you remember this, but God told Moses to go and assemble the elders of Israel and to tell them that God had seen their suffering and that he is going to deliver them from the Egyptians. And on top of that, before it's over, the Egyptians will give you anything that you ask of them. If you flip back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 21, let's look at that real quick, because I want I want us to see this with our own eyes. Uh, Exodus three, twenty-one. It says, and I will give these people such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for the silver and gold jewelry and the clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters so you will plunder the Egyptians. I bring out this story because the struggle that we talked about last week was Israel's um, misunderstanding of the fact that God could provide for them. And I bring out this story because God told them before any of the the plagues happened, I'm going to set you free. I've seen your suffering and I'm going to provide you with the riches of the Egyptians. And so these people who were slaves, who had nothing, leave Egypt, not only as free people, but with the wealth of Egypt on their shoulders. And then they get into the desert and they don't have the water and they don't have the food and they say, we should have just stayed in Egypt where our bellies were full, our pots were full and died in slavery rather than be brought into the wilderness. God has shown them over and over and over again just through this short narrative in Exodus that he is more than willing to provide. The question that God was asking Israel when he led them into the wilderness was, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I talked about last week about how God brings all of us into wilderness points in our lives. And the purpose of that wilderness time is so that we can come to know him. That's why God took the long way around to bring them to the promised land initially. He wanted that time in the desert, in the wilderness, for them to learn to trust God, to to understand his character, to be revealed to them who he was. It was about trust. It wasn't about bread or anything else when Jesus is tempted by Satan. It was about trust. So that was temptation one. The second one, which we're going to cover today, is a different kind of question. It's one that all of us struggle with. It is a temptation that has always existed, and I'm going to use what, in my opinion, is the greatest film in cinema history to illustrate this point, okay? The name of this movie is, it's a little film by, by Disney, and it's called Aladdin. Okay, have y'all heard of that film before? I love, this is by far one of my favorite movies. Like, I know all the songs, like, and I'm talking about the Robin Williams versions. No discredit to, to, to Will Smith. He did a great job, but he ain't no Robin Williams. Amen? Okay, so here's the story. All right, there's this guy named Jafar. Raise your hand if you remember who Jafar is, okay, and his little parrot. I don't even remember the parrot's name. Iago? Iago? Okay. All right, so from the outset of the movie, you can tell something's not quite right about Jafar and this parrot, right? But think about what Jafar wants he is the sultan's most trusted advisor. Like, there is the sultan, and then there's Jafar, okay? So he is almost the top, but that's not enough for him. What does he want to be? He wants to be sultan, right? And so he hears about this magic lamp in the cave of wonders, and we know of at least two guys that he sends into there, probably a lot more. The second one of those was Aladdin, right? The diamond in the rough, and so he goes in. We know the story. He's supposed to give the the lamp to Jafar and Jafar is gonna save him out of the the thing and Jafar kicks him off and Abu the monkey who is probably the, one of the best characters in the whole movie steals the lamp back and so fast forward Aladdin shows up as Prince Ali Prince Ali you you all remember okay all right it's a great great movie all right Jafar realizes at some point that Prince Ali is Aladdin and so he steals the lamp back and what does he wish for He wishes to be the sultan, right? And so poof, he's the sultan. Problem is, is that nobody's listening to him, particularly Jasmine. And so that really upsets him. So he says, you know what? Being sultan's not enough. I want to be the greatest sorcerer in the world. And so poof, he's the greatest sorcerer in the world. Big, scary, turns into a snake. It's this whole thing, right? And and so, but Aladdin, I love this, cleverly reminds him, that even with all of this power, the genie's the one that gave him the power and he can take it away. You remember that? It's like one of the greatest, so he gave you his power and he can take it away. And so he says, I want to be the greatest uh, 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 genie in the world. And so whoa, all this stuff happens and, and then Robin Williams goes, ultimate cosmic power, itty bitty living space, right? Greatest line in the whole movie, okay? All of that, because I want us to understand, what was Jafar after? He was after power and he was after control. Let me ask you this how many times in your life have you wished that you were the boss that you were the oldest sibling that you were the team leader etc this desire for control and for power is found in so many movies and so many stories because it is it is elemental to what it means to be a human all of us want to be the boss all of us want to be the one that's in control it's a universal struggle and and what we know to be true is it those that have no power want power, and those that have power want more of it, right? Let's open up in Luke this morning, and I want to read this second temptation, because I bet we're going to see that same theme playing out in this temptation. Look at it with me Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. It says, So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority. Because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Point number one for today is that the devil offered Jesus a shortcut to accomplishing his mission. I don't think we ever see just how sneaky this temptation is. We, we got to, I mean, we got to give the devil some credit on this one, right? He is a sly, sly dog. What he's offering Jesus is the ability to control his own story. That's what he's offering him. At first glance, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but it is. Have you ever met a four-year-old, anybody? Have you ever heard that four-year-old say, I'll do it myself, right? <laughs> You're feeling it, right? What is that a desire for? It's a desire for control. It is a desire to, to, to be uh, out of, under somebody else's control. It is a, de- a desire for freedom, right? This is born into all of us. It is the result of the fall. And it's the same temptation that the devil used on Eve. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And I love that our, our children's message was on this this morning. But Satan says, no, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delight to look at and that it was, it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Here, here's, what, here's what Satan said. He said, you will be like God. Whose whose image were Adam and Eve created in? God, in his likeness. They already had it. This was a play for power. God created everything, including them. And imagine what Adam and Eve could do if they had that kind of wisdom, that kind of power. But as we know, it was a cleverly packaged lie. Did they gain wisdom? Yes, they did. But not godly wisdom. They gained wisdom and experienced evil. This desire for wisdom and power is what separated them and the rest of humanity from God. And I love this morning that in the children's thing it said that it broke God's heart. This separation is seen throughout Scripture. And we saw it with Israel in the desert. We talked about it last week. God told them that he was was going to provide manna. And that they should only gather what their household needed for the day. uh, Because tomorrow God would provide more. And so what did they do? They gathered up what they wanted in an attempt to take control back from God, and the result was rotten, stinky, worm-riddled food. Right? That was about control. It was about, God, I I know you said you're going to do this, but just in case, I'm going to do this to take care of my own. It's the same thing that that the enemy is trying to lure out of us. This human desire for power and control is what the devil is trying to lure out of Jesus and he's doing the same to us. The devil tries to convince us that his way will bring us around to what God wants but through the avenue of what we want. I'm gonna say that again. The devil tries to convince us that his way will bring us around to what God wants but through the avenue of what we want. And so where is the focus now? Is it on God? No, it's on what we want. Not only is he trying to trick us into disobeying, but he is also doing it by offering something that is not his to give away. So this is point number two, is that Jesus was offered what was not the devil's to give away. Look at verse six again in chapter four. It says, the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. That's a bold statement, right? And it makes you wonder for a moment, does the devil really own the world? Have you ever heard somebody say something with such authority that you think, that must be true? Bethany learned about me a long time ago. I'm going to tell a funny story on myself. We would be riding down the road and there'd be something on the back of 18 and she'd be like, what is that? And I would just rattle off an answer. I think I've told you all this before. And for a lot of years, she's like, oh, okay. Well, then she's smarter than I am and she quickly figured out that I was full of bull, that I was just rattling off what I thought it might be, but with no real information there. This is the kind of thing that's happening right here. Satan is speaking with authority. I learned this also growing up in kids. We, we, we went to rodeos all the time, and I learned very quickly as a child that if you walked in with your head up like you owned the place, no one would question anything you did. You could get away with whatever you wanted to. That's what Satan is doing here. Now, there's some verses in the Bible that may allude to this, but let's look at a few of those. One of them I want to look at is 1 John 5, 19, where John says, We know that we are of God. And the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. What does this word sway mean? If you look it up, the Greek word emiso means among. So it means that the world is among or under the influence of the evil. one. we know that to be true, right? The enemy is all around us. John also says in chapter 12, verse 31 uh, of of, uh, his gospel that now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And he says in verse 16, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 11, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Here's, here's what, what we know, is that the, the enemy, the evil one, is among us. But what we also know is that his reign is temporary and restricted. He does not have all authority. Think about the story of Job. And let's, let, let's look at that real quick. There's an important detail here we need to see and, in Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, Satan... Uh, is having this conversation with God and Satan answered the Lord he says does Job fear God for nothing haven't you placed a hedge around him his household and everything he owns you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased the land but stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face very well the Lord said to Satan everything he owns is in your power however do not lay a hand on Job himself so Satan left the Lord's presence if the enemy had control, why did he need God's permission? The enemy did not have control over Joe. God had to grant him that control. The devil is trying to give away something that he has no control over. His best bargaining chip does not belong to him. He's offering something that he cannot deliver on. Yes, the devil is among us. And yes, he has some control over the world and the people in it. But that power will not last forever. We know the end of the story. He is living on borrowed time. This is what Jesus is saying in both of John's passages that we just read. The enemy has been been judged and he will be cast out. In order to overcome this temptation, here's what Jesus does. He goes back to God's word. He leans into the promise, the covenant that God made with Israel way back in the desert. So point number three is that Jesus defeats this temptation by obeying the Shema. Now that's not a word we use a lot, right? We call it the great commandment. Look at Deuteronomy, and this is what Jesus is quoting. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That sounds real familiar, doesn't it? It's called the Shema. Listen, this lie that the devil is trying to pull on Jesus is one of the same ones that he pulls on us every day. There's this idea in our culture that we are the ones that need to be in control of our lives. And that manifests itself in a lot of ways. We think and we're told that this is our life. and We can live it however we want to. We're told that the truth can be whatever you want it to be. What feels good for you is your truth, right? This is not the case. Jesus came and he faced the temptation. He looked that lie in the face, and his rebuttal was a promise from God. What did God promise his people? If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse one, it says, "Now if you will faithfully obey the Lord your God and care, be careful to follow all His commands I am giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above all the nations of the earth." Remember this, this moment in Deuteronomy is when Israelites are finally, after 40 years, about to go on the promised land. And Moses is recapping the Ten Commandments. He's recapping everything that God has said. And he's saying, listen, we've we've walked through this for 40 years. Remember the things that God has said. If you will obey his commands, he will be your God and you will be his people. And our story today in Luke chapter 4 with this temptation The devil is striking right at the heart of what God wants and desires for his people. He wants us to know him. Specifically, he wants us to obey him. Obedience is followed by the blessing presence of God in our lives. God wants us to know him. He wants to be a part of our lives, but that requires that we obey the things that he says. Paul warns us about this temptation in his letter to the church in Rome, and he gives the answer about how to overcome it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Church, when we hear those lies from culture, that this is your life, live it the way you want it to, truth is relative, you can make your own truth, we got to rebuttal that stuff just like Jesus did by going back to the Word. Paul says, By the renewing of your mind. And that happens by spending time in the Word with the Father. In response to this temptation, Jesus pulls out the trump card. He reminds himself and the devil that God's command, God's desire is for us to obey him. The way we pull this trump card in our lives when we're facing temptation is by being transformed into Jesus' likeness. If only we knew how to do that. If only we had been warned that this was coming. Oh wait, we were. Jesus taught about this temptation. Look with me at John chapter 14. I I don't know why it is, but every time Glenn shows up, I find myself in John chapter 15. I don't know if that's a coincidence. John chapter 14, verse 29 through 31. Jesus said, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe. He says, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming but he has no power over me on the contrary so that the world may know that i love the father i do as the father commanded me get up and let's leave this place jesus told the disciples what was coming because jesus has already been through it he faced his temptation they were going to have to deal with those temptations on his own when he wasn't physically there within him anymore and so how do we fight this lie How does he tell the disciples to fight the lie? We fight it by abiding in Christ. When we are one with him, we've talked about this so much. When we are abiding in him, his desires are our desires. Our desires are his desires because our minds have been renewed, they have been restored. They are like his. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. Picking up in verse 5 I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. In these temptations... The enemy is trying to convince Jesus to be something other than what he is. In your life, the enemy is tempting you to be something other than what you are. In verse 7, he says, if you remain in my words and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want. You know why he can make such a blanket statement like that? It's because if we are remaining in him, the things that we want are the things that he wants. And God has no problem fulfilling his own desires, none whatsoever God's desire is for us to know him. The enemy's desire is for us to not know God. That's why he tries to get us to go around God's plans. We're going to be tempted daily to take control, to seek the power, to write our own stories, to decide for ourselves what truth is. And all of those are going to lead to sin and separation from God. The question that we're left with today is, Whom do you serve? Is it yourself or is it God? Are you the one calling the shots in in your life? Or are you letting God call those shots? If we follow the teachings of Moses and of Jesus and of Paul by living in obedience, we're going to experience the joy of knowing God and we're going to experience the blessings of God because His presence is in our lives. From the beginning, the devil has worked to separate us from God. By living for yourself, you are falling into the same trap that Adam and Eve and Israel have all fallen into. And we've seen the results of what it means to live separated from from God. Every one of us in this room, before we were followers of Jesus, before we were believers, we experienced life apart from God. And we know the difference. We can feel the difference between living separated from God and living in God's blessing so that even when life falls apart, you have the joy and the peace that comes only from the Father. Give yourself the opportunity to experience union with God by abiding in Him. When you face temptation, run back to the Word. Remind yourselves of the things that God has already promised. Let's pray. Father, it's difficult often to to look into our own hearts and to ask hard questions. Father, as we close in worship this morning, I ask that you would give all of us the the courage to To look in our own hearts and ask the question, whom am I serving? Have I made my life about me or have I made it about you? God, all of us have areas in our lives that we're still living for ourselves. So God, I ask for each of us this morning that you would clearly identify those areas in our lives. God, that you would give us the strength and the power to overcome that temptation. God, that you would give us a desire to know you, to abide in you. Moment by moment, day by day, so that we can experience you, so that we can know you. Jesus, I ask these things in your name.